It was not entertainment. It was God. I left here. I, I cried. I laughed. I jumped. I did, you know. And I left here strengthened and built up. And it was just God was here. So I believe he's, there's, see, I just explained to my wife that. She said, why do you pray in here? I say, pray in here because there's 31 years of prayer built up in here. 31 years of prayer built up in, the, in this sanctuary. And it just accumulates and accumulates. So what happened when Sunday night, Sunday morning, and what happened Monday night in here? There's still spiritual things charged up in this atmosphere. So you just, when it gets to a certain place of charge, you want to just get there and soak it in. Praise God. Galatians chapter 5. Now, last week we started a series on, uh, on spirit, soul, and body. And I forgot to bring my notes last week. This, bring a, this week I brought a whole notebook. <laughs> well, some of us are going to sound familiar to some of you because some of this comes right out of school of ministry. So I'm going to teach a little bit of the school of ministry in this course. In this course, It's not a course. It's a series. And uh, I'm believing God it won't go long. Where did I tell you? Galatians 5? All right, that's a good place to start. Our, our, the verse that is our key verse is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, which tells us, May God sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, in your spirit, soul, and body. And the Bible teaches us, and we'll talk in a moment or so about that not everybody agrees on this, that you are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. We talked a little bit about why that's so important. And I want to just begin tonight by sharing why this is so important to study this. Some of you, you're going to hear things you've never heard before. Some of you have never heard this before because you're relatively new. Some of you have been around since the flood or before the flood. And you've, you've heard teachings on this over and over again. For, I'm going to talk to those of you who, who are pre-flood or just after the flood. Um, first of all, we leak. No connection with floods. But we forget things that we've heard. And we may have known it, but we forget it. And I took you last week into, Peter, into Peter's writings where he said, before I, I think it's 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, before I leave this body, there's some things I need to put you in remembrance of because you forget from time to time. So the first reason is we forget. But there's another reason that I sense down in my spirit, that I sense that what, what God is preparing us for, what God wants to do in our lives, it is more important than ever that we know the voice of the Holy Spirit and we know how to be led by the Spirit of God. In order to know the voice of the Holy Spirit, in order to be led by the Spirit of God, you've got to be able to recognize voices that are not the Holy Spirit. And part of that comes by understanding, because different parts of you talk to you. Your mind talks to you. Your body talks to you. If you don't believe your body talks to you, set your alarm for 5 a.m. tomorrow to get up and pray. And you listen to what your body says to you. It'll tell you when that alarm goes off. If you get up, you'll die. Do you know what kind of day you have today and all you have to do? You're going to die if you get up. You'll never make it. And then you get up anyway and you sit there and you're trying to concentrate on the Word of God or you're trying to pray and your mind's on all kinds of other things because your body's saying, you're, you know, you're going to fall asleep and yet you're wide awake. I got a clue for you. Your body lies. It does not tell you the truth. So in order to be able to discern who's talking to you, we have to have some understanding of the different parts, the way we're made up. 
And that's where, you know, Philippians, or First Thessalonians 1 lists some of them. I'm going to give you some other scriptures in a few minutes. But I want to see, show you another reason why this is so important. Galatians chapter 1, um, verse 17. Well, let's go to verse 16. For I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Now, the New King James that I have has Spirit with a capital S. Some of you have translations that have Spirit with a small s. Let me explain to you why. In the original Greek language, it's all uppercase. What I say? I said chapter one, five seventeen. What it says right here. I now know you were listening. I wasn't, but you were. Five. I must be tired. Five came out as one somehow. I'll go back and read it again. I say then, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Your flesh is not lusting chocolate. I thought it was. Your flesh is lusting against the Spirit. Now, the New King James says Spirit with a capital S. Some translations say Spirit with a small s. The reason that's different is because they don't know. Because the original language that this was written in that was inspired by the Holy Spirit was all in uppercase. So it's the translators that have decided, of course, initial cap S would refer to the Holy Spirit, lowercase s would refer to my spirit. So which is it talking about? Understand this, that the Word of God is inspired, that means God breathed by the Holy Spirit. But God did not breathe it in English. Didn't breathe it in Portuguese. Didn't breathe it in Italian. He didn't even breathe it. I don't know where John is. He didn't even breathe it in King James. I laugh at that because there are people literally that believe the King James Version is what God breathes. And maybe because they think it, because it says authorized version. But it was authorized by King James, not God. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but understand this. This is a translator or a committee of translators' best effort to take the original manuscripts and express it in our language. So they have to make some judgments. Now, having gone through all of that, let me tell you why it doesn't make any difference. Because your spirit, small s, and the Holy Spirit, capital S, when you were born again, were fused together. So whether it's capital S spirit or small s spirit, it's still the same thing. And so your flesh is lusting. It lusts for the chocolate, but it lusts against your spirit. So what is this telling us? Let's read the rest of the verse. And these things are contrary to one another 
so that you do not do or cannot do, some translation says, the things that you wish. What this tells us is that there is a war going on. Forget the wars going on in the Middle East. Forget the war going on in Afghanistan or Pakistan or wherever we're staying. There's a war going on in you. And we're going to learn in a little while later where the battlefield is for the war. But if there's a war going on in you, it's a good idea to know which side is fighting for which principle and which side you want to win. In order to do that, you've got to be able to discern the difference between your flesh and your spirit. There are many people that come to me and say, the Lord, which means through my spirit, told me this. And I can tell just by what they said it wasn't the Lord at all. It's their flesh. Well, I have peace about this, Pastor. Well, is that peace in your flesh? Or is that peace in your spirit? When you feed your flesh what it wants, the first reaction is peace. Because it stops warring against your spirit. It's like the two-year-old that's warring against you because it wants that toy in the window. And so it throws a fit, screams and yells. Then if that doesn't work, starts manipulating and crying, tells you you're a lousy mother. All of that's his flesh warring against his mother. When she finally gives in and goes in and buys the toy and gives it to that little child... What does he do? He calms right down and he's at peace. So there are times we say, well, you know, I really feel peace about it. You've got to ask yourself, is that peace because you're giving into your flesh? You've got to be able to discern where you're experiencing something. In order to do that, you've got to be familiar with the different parts that make you up and how they're differently made, and we're going to learn they have different functions. And we get, out of, we get into trouble when we use the wrong part for the wrong function. And we'll see that. Not tonight, probably. All right. So these different parts, and we mentioned them last week, they have different voices. They're also from different kingdoms. And God has designed them for different roles. Before the fall, they were, they were operating in, in that first man and woman for the principle and purpose for which God ordained them. The effect of the fall of sin and really the purpose of it was to take the order that God had designed for those three parts and put them out of order. And Jesus came to restore that God-ordained order within you. But just because He restored it doesn't mean you're operating in what He restored. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now let's talk about these three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Before we do that, I want to address an issue. Again, if you've not been saved or been around long enough, you may not realize that some people teach a little differently. There are, there are people out there that teach that there are only two parts to you. 
And there's some songs that are popular out there. Soul and body or body and soul. So there are people that, there are people that teach that there are really two parts of you. There's your body and there's your soul. And they'll rely on some scriptures that talk about the outer man and the inner man as the distinction between the spirit and the soul. Now, I've got to, I'll be very frank with you. And as I teach you, I will try as best I can to tell you what I, that what, where I'm teaching you is Bible, where I'm teaching you is theory, and where I may be teaching is my opinion so that you understand what the difference is and you weigh them in relative value. The Bible's not wrong. My opinion may be wrong. And other people's theories may be wrong. But there's some basis for this, and there's some reason why I believe in the three parts. First of all, we just have to look at how God is designed. God's made up of three parts, three different personalities. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they have different roles and different levels of authority. And we'll talk a little later on about those differences. But God the Father is the one that's on the throne. He's the boss. It's His will that is carried out. God the Son is responsible to the Father for the carrying out of His will. That's why when this creation went wrong, it was the Son that came here to straighten it out because it is under His responsibility. God the Spirit is the physical agent that carries out the Father's will. In the same way, you have three parts. One of you is designed to carry out the Father's will. That's your spirit. One part of you is designed to have responsibility for the carrying out of that, that will. That's your soul. And the third part of you is the physical agent by which that will is carried out, and that's your body. We talked last week about the significance of the body is it's your earth suit. That you cannot exist on this earth and have any effect on this earth if you don't wear one of these things. I said that's why the Bible tells us in several places that in essence, spirits which are very real, whether they're demonic or angelic, cannot do something in this world unless they either dwell in a physical body or they are working with somebody who's dwelling in a physical body like you or me. They need a body to work through because it takes a physical human body to pick up this book and move it, barring something supernatural. Supernatural means it's unusual, it's rare, and it's beyond what's normal or natural. But the normal, natural occurrence of things it requires something of this material realm to affect something of this material realm. So for that reason, I believe it mirrors the creation of God, and the Bible does say we were made in His image. But there's a practical reason why I believe, and a theological reason why I believe it must exist. Because if there are only two parts to me, my spirit, my soul, and my body which is the body, there's no question what that is. Everybody understand what that is? I just look at your hand, you know, you know that, pinch it a little bit, that's your body. Okay, we're clear on that. Okay. Then what's the, what's the soul? Well, here's the problem. The Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, verse 17. All things have 
passed away. Passed away means they're gone, they're dead, they're finished. All things have become new. Verse 21 says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches that when you came to Christ, your old man died and God put his own spirit in you and made you alive unto him. Now let me ask you a question. Since that happened in you, have you ever sinned? If you don't say yes, you just did because you lied. Well, now, wait a minute. If I'm just two parts, I'm a soul and I'm a body. I know my body. I know what it does. I know what it doesn't do. And I've been, I, the real me, has been made the righteousness of God. The real me is a new creature born of God's nature. And God's nature is righteous and does not sin. First John tells us that. Then how could I sin? How can I be righteous in my nature and yet do unrighteous things? Well, maybe it needs a third part of us that hasn't been made righteous yet. If there are three parts to me, the body we understand. If there's a spirit part of me, which is my real nature on the inside, and when I come to Christ, that's the part of me that died and that God breathed His nature into where I became His child, that's the part of me that can be righteous, but I've still got a soul that is in the process of adjusting itself to this change. So I can have a soul that's in the process of growing and maturing, whereas my nature has already been made in the image of God. Does that make sense to you? That's the only teaching to me that reconciles those two major teachings of the Bible. In, um, where is it? Oh, it's in these notes. That's where it is. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick, that means alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. So the Word of God is capable of separating the distinction of your soul from your spirit. If they were the same things, the Word of God couldn't divide it. It would have to cut it in two. So that implies there are times it's hard to discern whether it's my spirit or my soul and the weapon, the, the tool of God to divide that is this word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able, and I have had it pierce me. It 
and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now let's look at a little bit of background here to understand. We're going to look at these three parts, at what they are. It will help you in having some understanding of discerning which one you're listening to. It will help you discern which one you want to win the battle. It will help you discern the right order that God has designed for you to function in. And it will give you understanding in other things. But in order to do that, we have to understand, we're going to kind of step back and become what philosophers call metaphysical. And don't worry about what that means, but that's what we're going to become for a few moments. In order to understand that, you have to recognize that there are two, the Bible teaches, there are two realms of existence. Now let's talk for a moment about what that means. What in the world is a realm of existence? Well, part of the reason this becomes difficult for us is because we spend 99.999% of our time living in aware of only one of them. So we tend to assume that's reality. That's the only thing that really exists. And these other things like heaven and, you know, we believe in them, but they're just sort of up there floating around, you know, kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost, you know, remember? Casper the Friendly Ghost, they kind of see through, you know, and you see these, these ghost things you see through and heaven's this kind of ethereal place up there somewhere, you know, and that's not the truth at all. What is a realm of existence? Well, what's a realm? A realm is a kingdom. It is an, it is a, it is a, it is an area where, where, there's an, where there's a form of rulership, where there's a particular order and government, where the rules that are operated, and somebody owns it. And you exist within it, and when you exist within it, you're subject to the rules and the authority of the king or the ruler of it. So, for instance, for years and years and years, there was the British Empire. Now it's basically just basically one country. And that was the realm of the king, the, king, the realm of the British Empire. And what that, what that referred to is the countries that were under the authority of the British government and of the king. It referred to a way of life. It referred to customs and traditions. It referred to a whole way of doing things in a way of life under the authority and dominion of the King of England until Parliament got involved and it was basically spread out. So that's essentially what a kingdom is. It's a rulership. It's a kingdom. It's like a country under the authority of somebody who has, has a way of doing things and rules and ways of operating. So that's basically what a realm is. Existence means to be. So what we're learning is you can be, exist, be alive in two different realms. In fact, right now, sitting where you are, you are alive in two different realms. Two realms of existence. One of them is called the spirit realm, and the other is called the material realm. The spirit realm is the realm where God lives. The material realm is the realm of this earth that we're used to. Let me talk for a few minutes about the differences in these realms. And you can put that first slide up. I'm going to try using these slides. Now, got to go to slide six. Slide six. We're not taking the whole course. 
It'd be good. Maybe we will sometime. Can you just go down to slide six, jump down to it? Oh, getting closer. Nope. That's all good stuff we don't have time to get into. Not a course in law school. Oh, I wish I could preach that right now. It's good stuff. Well, I'm going to start when they get to slide six. There's one more slide after this, and then I think there's slide six. Don't worry, it doesn't go down through all of that. Keep going. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, stop there a second. I want to show you something, because it will show up in some of the other slides. What this slide is talking about is there's a, there's, there's a difference between, in the Bible, what's called the legal side and the vital side. This explains why God can say He's done certain things, and yet you don't see Him yet. And all those, are, all those on the legal side are things God's done for us that are listed in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, these are what God has done for you. Not will do, has done for you. That's who you are to God. A new creature. He's given you all spiritual blessings. You've been redeemed. He's lavished His grace upon you. He's given you an inheritance in Christ Jesus. You've been sealed in Him. You are a child of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're sealed in God by the Holy Spirit, Christ by the Holy Spirit. You have been ordained to have an inheritance. You've been made alive in Christ, and God is for you. But how many of you experience the fullness of all of that right now? None of you are, because I would show. It would show up. Well, how can that be if God's already done all those things, but I'm not experiencing that? Because there's two sides to the transaction. There's God's side and our side. God's side is called the legal side. It's what God from His side has done. In Genesis 17, when God is blessing Abraham, He says, As for me, I have made you a father of many nations. He didn't have a child for another 15 years. Because the other side is the vital refers to what I'm living or experiencing. So it's important to understand that there's a difference between what God's given us and what we're experiencing and actually experiencing in our life. What's on the left side is the potential. It's all, you see, the, we can have all of that because God's already given it to us. See, if God didn't give us one of those things, I don't care how vital you want to get, you're not getting it. But once God's deposited in the bank... It's yours. Again, it's as if somebody deposited $10,000 in your bank today and sent you the deposit slip. That $10,000 won't do you one bit of good until you go there and begin to withdraw it. When you withdraw it, it goes from the legal side to the vital side. So you cannot, the point of this is, well, just a little school of ministry here. The point is you cannot judge what God has done for you by what you're experiencing. You cannot judge what God's will is for you by what you're experiencing in your life or what somebody else's experience in their life. So when you read the Word of God that says, by the stripes of Jesus, you have been healed, and you share that with somebody and say, well, I tried that and it didn't work, what they're telling you is, on the vital side, they've never experienced that. But that doesn't mean it's not on the left-hand side. 
And what this slide is about, the arrow in the middle, is the Bible teaches us that what is on the left-hand side goes to the right-hand side by renewing your mind. Now you can go to the next slide. There we go. All right. Hit the first one. We're going to go down the list of... These are attributes. What I want to do is teach you how you can recognize whether something's... The, well, it's not very large. How you can recognize something's of the spirit realm or the physical realm, the material realm. You may think it's obvious. Well, but I'm going to give you a filter to go through. And if you run through this filter in your mind, say, ah, that's the spirit realm. Okay. First thing is, put it up. Things of the spirit are not detected by your five senses. Your five senses are smell, taste, sight, hearing, and, and what? Touch. Okay. So, if you can touch it, if you can taste it, if you can see it, if you can hear it, or you can smell it, it's not of the spirit realm. I'll go over that again. If you can smell it, if you can taste it, if you can see it, if you can hear it, or you can touch it, it's not of the spirit realm. And if it's not of the spirit realm, it's of the other realm, the material realm. So let's get really down basic. And it, you know, this may seem oversimplified. I am not talking down to you. I've done this a number of years in the school of ministry. And this simple basic understanding will help you discern. And I'll give you an example in a few minutes. So, so that Bible that's in your lap... Can you touch it? Can you smell it? If you wanted to, you could lick it and taste it. Can you see it? So what realm is it? Material realm. The rug. Can you see it? Can you touch it? I won't go any further. Material realm. Those are obvious things. The spirit realm is made up of things that ex really do exist that you cannot detect with your five senses. This room right now, according to the Bible, is full of angels. The Bible says we each have at least a guardian angel. The Bible says where two or more of us are gathered in his midst, there is he in our midst. Now, someone shared with me that the other night they saw an angel up on the stage. That's supernatural. That's when God either speeds up your senses so that they can see past the speed of light or He slows down their molecular structure within the speed of light. But in the natural operation of things, I actually, I may have just knocked my angel in the head. Well, he's probably bigger than that. I'd never know that. Why? Because the way I would detect whether he's here or not is by touch. And by the very definition of the spirit realm, I cannot physically touch him. But does that mean he's not real? No. And see, because we live so much of our life 
operating by, relying upon, thinking about, listening to our five senses, we've developed such confidence in them that we believe if I cannot see it or touch it, it may not be real. Oh, it may be real, but it's kind of like Casper. It's not really of substance. One of my favorite stories of C.S. Lewis has a little scene in there, and I just read it over again last year, which gives this, me this mental image. Now, it's not saying C.S. Lewis is not the Bible. It's not saying that this is actually what's like in heaven, but it gives you this image. It's in, it, it helps me, okay? You can listen in on this. I won't go into the whole story, but there's a scene where a bus has come up essentially from hell to the outskirts of heaven. And, and this is not biblical, but the people are given an opportunity to stay if they want. The interesting thing is most of them don't. Because usually what the reason they're in hell is because they want to be. They didn't choose hell, they just didn't want God. And heaven is full of God. So if you don't want Him here, you're sure not going to want Him there. <laughs> and so they get off the bus and they begin to walk on this beautiful field of grass towards a city. And as this character steps out, there's an angel assigned to help him and to, as guide. And as he's walking along, he looks down and notices that the blades of grass are sticking through his feet. Well, that was rather curious. Everywhere I've ever gone, when I step on the grass, the grass bends because my foot has more density and is heavier than the grass. And he looked at his guide and says, how come the grass is sticking through my feet? He said, oh, that's simple. He said, that's because the grass is more real than your foot. God is absolutely real. This physical realm is a reflection. It's real, but it is a watered-down reflection of the reality that is God. And so, just because you can't touch Him doesn't mean He's not real. In fact, He's more real than your hand. Second thing, the spirit realm... Second thing, is where God exists. It is His kingdom. He is the ruler of that realm. Next one. This kingdom has no beginning and no end. This is a little hard to get our mind to wrap around because everything we know has a beginning and end. Time does not exist in this kingdom. This is why the Bible says God knows the end from the beginning because He sees it all at once. This is why the cross is not something that's 2,000 years old to God. He can smell the blood today. He can see His Son hanging on that cross today because it's as real today as it was would have been to us if we lived 2,000 years ago because to God, everything is now. In that kingdom, 
There's just now. So clocks are really simple. You look at a clock, it says, now. That's it. Don't need clocks in heaven because there's no time. But it's hard for us to conceive that because everything we know has some kind of beginning and some kind of end. But this kingdom has no beginning and has no end. We'll move along here. Next one. It never changes. It's always the same. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse sixteen. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outer man is perishing. That's the body. In other words, it's decaying. Have you noticed it tends to get older? We won't go there. Even though the outer man is perishing or getting older, the inward man, that's your spirit, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Look at verse 18. For we do not look at the things that are seen. Oh, that's a trick. So we, does that mean I just close my eyes to them? I've passed some people on 195 that I think were not looking at things we're seeing. Well, it gets even more interesting. We, don't look, we do not look at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen. How do you look at something that's not seen? Some of you, before you were born again, may have seen some things that weren't seen. He's talking about two different set of eyes. When he says, if we look not at the things that are seen, the looking is with the inner eyes, paying attention to, relying upon. He says, we don't look at, rely upon the things which our five senses can detect. But instead, we look at and rely upon things that our five senses cannot detect. This realm. Why? Because the things which are seen, the things which our five senses can detect, are temporary. Temporal, the word means. But the things which are not seen, the things of this realm, are eternal. The word temporary there is that word kairos I've talked to you about, which means for a moment. But the things which cannot be detected with your five senses, they are eternal. All right. So this realm never changes. And the next point, we could talk about more things. This is more real than the material realm because it doesn't change, because it doesn't fade away, because it doesn't have a beginning or end. All right, go to the next one. This is the material realm. First one, it's the opposite. It is anything that can be detected by, detected by your five senses. <laughs> and here's an application of this. I'm in a service. 
and things are going on and people are talking about how the Spirit of God's moving. You know, and I was like, oh, I feel the Spirit. Sometimes that's a manifestation of something spiritual that's going on inside of you. But sometimes it's because the person up there is going, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You can whip people. I've done it. In prayer, God, please do this. God, please do that. In the name of Jesus, I take authority of the devil. People going, yeah. Where were they when I was saying, God? The moment I start talking about the devil in prayer, people get all stirred up and excited. Is that mean the Spirit's moving stronger when we're rebuking the devil? No, somehow our flesh got involved. Sometimes our emotions get involved. And this is where this is so important to learn to discern in worship and praise whether it's the Spirit or it's my emotion. I've seen just the same kind of demonstration at a football game that I've seen in church. And that clearly was not this spirit. Maybe some other spirits. So how do we discern the difference? You've got to discern where you're experiencing it, where it's coming from. A lot of what we call worship isn't true worship. It's emotion. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. But if we mistake it for true worship, what Jesus talks about in John chapter 4, my Father's looking for true worshipers who worship Him in what? Spirit. And in truth. Not in emotion. Emotion can come from the Spirit, but it doesn't start with emotion. I've been experiencing lately some of the most intimate times with the Lord I've ever had in my whole life with no emotion. It has been so powerful and so deep and so moving, I don't dare move. Not out of fear. I don't want to lose that moment. And it's come by an awe in here of who He is. Next one. It's made of the substance of this earth. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. That should be pretty easy to find. Verse 1. Make it very easy. In the beginning, now we learn something right there. Right now, we can tell which realm we're talking about. See, this is how this is helpful. Because if it has a beginning, we know which realm it's not. Because he's talking about the beginning of something, it can't be the spirit realm. Therefore, there's only other one other realm that the Bible talks about, and that's this material realm. So the beginning that he's talking about in Genesis chapter 1 is the beginning of this realm of existence. It has a beginning, and it will have an end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not heaven where He lives. It's part of this realm of existence. 
because he created it. The earth was formless and void. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Get some exercise tonight. Verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen, what realm's that? Material realm. Were not made out of things that are visible. In other words, this realm was not constructed out of the materials of this realm. Let me get real basic. God didn't go to Lowe's or Home Depot or Grossman's. He didn't send the angels out to a hardware store and say, I need you to make this world. Go find some materials and construct it out of it. Instead, it came out of the spirit realm. Things that exist in this realm, first of all, exist in the spirit realm, that's what your faith does. Your faith allows you to operate in this realm as if you could touch it for something that still exists only in that realm. And you can do it not because it's made up or imaginary, because faith believes it's more real there. It's so real there, I'll live here as if that's true. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. The next one. It's temporary. So it's always changing. And it's always changing in the direction of decay. I've heard, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I've been told that the fact is, from biology, biological fact, that your body begins the process of dying the moment you're born. Isn't that exciting? Why? Because it started the aging process. Because it's temporary. If you don't believe it's temporary, find an old picture of yourself <laughs> and look at it. And you will see a difference. Because the old expression is whatever used to be north went south. Where you want to grow hair now, I don't, and I grow it where I don't want to grow it temporary. It's always changing. And the last one is, these are in contrast to each other, it is less real because of all these things, it is less real. Yet to us, because we spend almost all of our time aware of, dealing with, in terms of the material realm, it's more real to us. This is why we have to use faith See, Paul had grown in his faith to, point, to the point that the spirit realm was more real to him than the natural realm. That's why he could call the horrible things he'd gone through as momentary light afflictions. You need to read earlier what some of those momentary light afflictions were. Three times He'd been, Jesus was scourged once. He was scourged three times. Beaten with rods. 
shipwrecked several times, chased by wild beasts, some with two legs and some with four legs, thrown in jail for doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he looks at it and calls it momentary light affliction. Why? Because it is earning for me an eternal weight of glory. That's how he learned to live his life. Because he'd grown in his faith in the spirit realm because that's where the inheritance is. That's where the rewards are. In fact, if you read 2 Timothy carefully, you find that when he paid all of this tremendous price that he went through, he writes to Timothy that all of Asia, that's all the churches that he started on his first missionary journey, where he went to to, to renew on the second missionary journey, all of them fell away. You know, you've done all that, laid your life down, and they just go walk away from it. You could get a little upset at them. But his eyes were not on the price he paid. I'm going to leave you with this little thought about a sacrifice and paying a price. When you're conscious of the price you paid, you haven't paid it yet. When you're conscious of the sacrifice you've made, you're still holding on to it. You can still feel it. You're still in the pain of letting go. Because once you've let it go and given it to the Lord, it's no longer yours. It's momentary. But the reason he could do this is because he learned to live his life more conscious of the spirit realm than the material realm. That's how he could be led so well by the spirit because the spirit realm is living in you. What we're going to learn next time is your body is obviously the part of you that comes from the material realm. Your spirit is the part of you that comes from the spirit realm. That means your spirit can't be detected by your senses. Oh, I feel the spirit. No, you may feel some evidence of it, but you can't detect your spirit with your five senses. It's where God exists. It's where He lives in you. Your spirit has no beginning or end. It never changes. It can, it can learn things. It's eternal, and it's more real than your body. So which are you going to base your life on? The eternal, the part of you that's God, the part of you that's, that, 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 that never changes and just gets stronger every day, or the part of you that's frail, falling apart, and is unreliable, and is going to die anyway? And yet we live our lives so much of the time governed and ruled by it and worship it and serve it. It's the only part of you that really gives you trouble. At its very best, you've got to bathe it every day, and then you've got to do it again tomorrow. You've got to shave it if you're a man and you shave. You've got, I mean, you've got to feed it. You've got to trim it. You've got to exercise it. You've got to listen to it. You've got to put it in bed. You've got to get it up. I mean, you've got to drag the thing around. And then what do you get for all that? All it does is tempt you. Chocolate. I've got to have that cookie. It gets you looking at things you know you shouldn't look at, thinking things you know you shouldn't think, 
wanting things you know you can't have and shouldn't want, all of that comes from your flesh. What do you think, why do you think the Spirit of God, the very first thing He did when, he filled, when he, Jesus was filled with Him, amazing thing, it says the first thing the Spirit of God did is He led Him in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What was He doing? Jesus was now, the Son of God was now dwelling in an earth suit. God had never before been subject to temptation. And he had to go into the wilderness and he had to learn to discipline his flesh. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says, he learned, to learn something means you didn't start out with it. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. And he did all of that, Hebrews goes on to tell us, so that he could become a merciful high priest, touched with the feelings of your weaknesses. Your flesh is a necessary part of you, but of value, it's the least valuable part of you. And yet it's the part that we give the most attention to, that we listen to, that we worship, and we're going to learn to know the distinction before we're done of your spirit, your soul, and your body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight, Father, that you teach us. You give us understanding. You don't just inspire us. You don't just move us. But you give us understanding so that we can apply your principles and your ways to our lives so that we may continue to grow and mature and operate in the dominion that you've given to us and be delivered and set free from the devices of the enemy. For the weapons of, his, the wep, the, 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 the weapons of Satan are, are, are common. There's no temptation that he's given to man that's not common. But with you will not also provide the way of, the way of escape so that we cannot endure it. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. As you begin and continue the process of pulling down the strongholds in our life, continue to help us to understand what part of us is in the grip of those strongholds and where the power of your weapons are within us to overcome. Thank you, Father, as we continue in this week that you continue to make these things clear to us as we walk out our lives from day to day. In Jesus' name, amen.